Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card, issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval terms apply. When it comes to your finances, go for the credit card that's always there for you. With 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. Real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Welcome to Star Talk, your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide. Star Talk begins right now. Welcome to the Hall of the Universe. I'm your host, Neil deGrasse Tyson, your personal astrophysicist, and tonight we dive in and explore the oceans of planet Earth. Featuring my interview with the legendary oceanographer, Sylvia Earle. Yes! And not only that, we also have an interview with famed aquanaut, Fabienne Cousteau. So let's do this! Oh, yes! My comedic co-host tonight, Scott Edson. Scott, welcome good back. Good evening. Thank you, sir. Always good to have you. Always nice to good to have you. And also joining us is marine biologist and conservationist, Lori Katz. All right. Thanks for having me. So what do you do? You're, you dive all around the world? Uh, sometimes. And you that's, do some that's, conserving? That's the fun part of my job. Oh, but okay. most of the time, I'm working to try to save some of the most special ocean places we have around the world. Well, we'll be tapping into your expertise throughout this entire program. Because I sat down recently with one of the great pioneers of oceanography, underwater explorer and living legend, Sylvia Earle. Let's check it out. So, Sylvia, I heard a rumor that you were born underwater. <laughs> and then you had gills, and then you just had to pretend you were human and came out, and now it's just a charade when you're, when you're oh, on dry land. I so wish that were so. <laughs> my dream, my dream. <laughs> so, what happened to you early in life where all of a sudden being on dry land was not the priority? <sighs> Well, I got knocked over by a wave when I was a little kid mm. on the New Jersey shore. See, that's, that's evidence you should go away from the ocean. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, that was my first thought because I couldn't breathe. And then suddenly my toes touched the bottom and my head came out. And I realized that was kind of cool. That was fun. And my mother, who was watching, mother of all mothers, I mean, instead of reaching in and grabbing me and saying, you're never going in the ocean again, saw the big smile on my face, and she let me go back in. And so she tossed you back in? Yeah. <laughs> Take her, Ocean. Okay, so this is a parent who sees uh, the joy in adventure and the adventure of joy. Yeah, that's right. Yep. I agree there's not enough 
parent energy uh, supporting the experiments that children might uh, well, again, I had parents might be victims of even. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it's so influential when you're a kid. But already, I had fallen in love with the big craggy horseshoe crabs. You know, the I know those living they, fossils. They look prehistoric. I mean, those things. Well, they go it's back. Like, what is that? You pick it up, and years. it's all kind of yeah. There's all this creepy stuff underneath, and <laughs> and they got the tail, and yeah. Well, I felt as if I knew more than some of the grown-ups who walk down the beach. They, oh, don't touch that! That you'll that you'll stab you with that spiky tail. And I said, what are you thinking? These are nice little guys. You know, they never hurt anybody. And I knew as a kid because I don't know. You just have that empathy for <sighs> other forms of life. So, so you were a weird kid. Just say that. Just admit it. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing's changed much. <laughs> yeah. So every now and then, a weird kid turns into an extraordinary adult. Yeah, and I, it's like she's got a like a superhero origin story, you know? Because <laughs> like her, she was attacked by a wave, and then she devotes her life <laughs> to studying her attacker. So that's that's exactly how how that plays out. Were you attacked by a planet at some point? Yeah, no, no, no. I have no superhero powers or anything. Oh, I think everyone yeah. would disagree with that. But it'd be cool if I was attacked by a black hole and I came out with, like, black hole energy. And if I didn't like you, I'd just suck you into a black spaghettify. hole. Spaghettify. <laughs> or spaghettify you. Indeed. So with her weirdness turning into the adult that she is, like, there's, i got to read this list of what, what she is. So... She's a marine biologist, National Geographic Explorer-in-Residence. She's logged 7,000 hours underwater and led more than 100 undersea expeditions. Uh, she was chief scientist at NOAA uh, from 1990 to 1992. And she's very influential in her field that so many people call her her deepness. Mm -hmm. So she has, she has an honorific royalty title because of this. And so... So I'm wondering, do you have an origin story with your love of the ocean, Lori? Yeah, it actually is quite similar to hers. I haven't reached uh, her deepness status, mm -hmm. um, but I had a, a collision with a wave as well, although it was... It was how, how old were you? A toddler. Um, uh -huh. But instead of being knocked over, it was being thrown into the waves um, actually by my dad. So like Sylvia's mom, I had a parent who encouraged me to love and respect the ocean, but not to fear it. And I, wait, wait, wait. Your dad threw you into the ocean. Yeah, so as a... And as, this, is, this is to teach you to respect the ocean? <laughs> well, to, to love it. So at that point, he... But not to respect your family. <laughs> <laughs> so he would throw me into the ocean, and my mom's friends thought he was absolutely insane, that this right. three-year-old was being thrown it's into crazy the ocean. Dad absolutely. Stuff. Yeah. But every single time, I'd pop up giggling my head off, and so pretty soon they thought I was the crazy one. <laughs> So she mentioned the horseshoe crab, mm -hmm. which is completely creepy. And so is there a point where it's hard for a human to feel empathy for sea creatures if they look, if they're not furry and cuddly? Well, I think it's hard for people to have empathy for anything that's different from them or far away. Yeah. But if you experience marine life, it's hard not to have empathy for them. Even so, if they're creepy and weird. Yeah, so let me, give you an ex let me give you an example. I was recently diving on a reef, and I saw a cuttlefish, which is a, a relative of squid and octopus, so not particularly uh, cuddly. Um, Isn't that the thing that can, like, has big suckers on the front? Exactly. And what I watched it do is take those big suckers, those tentacles, and reach it down into each branch of coral. And I looked in close, and it was actually caressing and turning each of its eggs. And 
It's hard Whoa. not to have empathy for a loving mom. Yeah, but it still doesn't have the face. It doesn't have the, I mean, it doesn't have like the emotional it's not, it's not stuff that we can relate to. It doesn't, it it doesn't have a vertebrate behavior. face. Face Faces are very vertebrate things, aren't it they? Has, it has eyes and it has uh, See, You're special, I think, because, because we, I think I need uh, something I can relate to, something I can recognize of myself in, and I very seldom will turn my eggs with my sucker <laughs> face. And so, so I think that's so, why fish get a, get a kind of a, a bum deal because they don't have a face you can look at and and adore because you don't see yourself in it so much. Well, you know, I, I disagree. Um, so manta rays are considered to be one of the smartest fish in the ocean. And they are so smart that they actually can recognize individual humans and divers. And the way that they recognize you is by your eyes. So they will come and they will swim and they will look you in the eye and they'll know who you are. Well, they know more than I do when I look at a fish then. Eh. I think that there's, there's a way to make connection with all of these So this animals. is the first sort of retinal test, retinal uh, ID? Yeah, yeah. They, they'll form relationships with people, and in, unless you actually cover up a diver's eyes, they'll know who you are. Wow. So, if you so wanna, don't harass them. <laughs> so if you want to get away from one of them. You can just do that and they won't know you. <laughs> they'll no longer recognize you. It's like the old-fashioned photos where you're not supposed to recognize the person. Yeah. They put a little black strip across their eyes. Like, Hiding. you don't recognize the body or the hair or anything else. You know, that, that was how they used to do that. Yeah. But not anymore. I think fish would really be advantaged by having a more expressive face. So you want fish to have eyebrows. That's, That's the all secret. I'm asking, yes. So, is that so hard? Is that so wrong? Can you do that, please? I'll, I'll work on it. <laughs> Thank you. That'll be your next big genetic yeah, project. Indeed. It's just for their advantage. I mean, look at that. <laughs> well, Sylvia Earle loves every fish in the sea, no matter what, with or without eyebrows. And I asked her about her love of the ocean. Just tell me, speak the love, and let's see what she says. When I think of people who love the ocean, many of them just like sailing the ocean. And yeah, or she, surfing. Surfing, right. Yeah, so swimming. the ocean to them is a surface. I know. And to you, it's a three-dimensional... The ocean is the wet part. ...universe. The wet part? <laughs> really? <laughs> it's not the top. Well, it is the top. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it is the bottom, but it's... Boat people, the ocean is a surface, <laughs> right? No, it's a juicy part in the middle. It's this part. That's And it's alive. That's the thing that... If people think of the ocean, they think rocks and water. And, you know, place to sail or swim. Right. Or, or to dump things or to take things out of the ocean. But, no, the ocean is a is a living system. So, Laurie, first, remind us what it means for the ocean to be a living system. Because to most people, it's just water, and it contains living things, but to think of it as a living system, take us there. So in the same way that a, a forest with birds and trees and bugs that are all interacting is a, is a living system, the ocean's the same way. It's not only full of life, but it's all interacting together in a, in a connected way that kind of keeps it all functioning. Isn't it just big fish eat little fish? <laughs> That's part of it, but there's a whole complex food web there uh, that most people just don't see and take into consideration. Well, I know, I mean, I study the universe, and I happen to know for sure that what happens on Earth's surface has really no effect on anything else in the universe. Hmm. They're, they're, they're separate things. And, but for marine scientists like Sylvia Earle, like yourself, human activity can have a significant influence on what's going on 
in the center of your research topic. Yep. So I just asked her about that. Let's check it out. If you start out as a scientist interested in the ocean and then learn that human activity is changing what the ocean is, yeah. does that turn you into a conservationist? What, does that alter you? Well, it alters what I have available to see. You know, 90% of the fish have, dis have been taken out of the ocean, not just since when I began exploring the ocean, but really mostly in the last 30 years. We're really good at catching and marketing wildlife from the sea. Half the coral reefs since 1980, since 1980, have either become seriously damaged or they're gone. In the Caribbean, I love the Caribbean, the Gulf of Mexico, it's closer to 90%. Some places are more stressed than others, and it's partly because, yes, the planet is warming, but also we're changing the chemistry of the ocean with acidification, also owing to what we're putting into the sky, carbon dioxide and methane, the CO2. The ocean is a great buffer and has absorbed much of the carbon dioxide. Mm -hmm. But beyond a certain point, it becomes carbonic acid. And we've seen a great uptick in the... And even if you don't know what carbonic acid is, it doesn't sound acid, good. Acid, acid, <laughs> acid, acid. Think carbonic acid. acid. It just sounds bad. You no, know, it is bad. And the thought that the ocean is so big, so vast, so resilient, it's too big to fail, right? But now we know it, it is failing. What does she mean, that the ocean is failing? It's, the, it's an ocean. So, like she said, for most of history, we thought of the ocean as this inexhaustible uh, space. Inexhaustible. Inexhaustible. And it's, it Throw turns, your garbage there. It turns out it's not. We are taking way more life out of the ocean than can be replenished, and we're putting way more pollution into the ocean than can be absorbed. So you're saying we're killing the ocean? Well, it's not dead yet, but it's certainly... Uh, its health is certainly failing. And, and this carbonic acid problem, how bad is it? It's pretty bad. So what she's talking about there is, is a process called ocean acidification. And the, the oceans absorb about a third of the carbon dioxide that humans are putting into the atmosphere, about 22 million tons every day. Every and day? Every day. So it's funny, when I, we think of carbon dioxide as a gas, and gas we think of as light and low density. And now you're telling me 22 two million. million tons of this gas is being uptaken, absorbed. absorbed by the ocean. Okay. And, and once it's in the ocean, as she said, it's turning into carbonic acid. So in the last 200 years alone, we've increased the acidity of the ocean by 30%. That's faster than any time in the last 50 million years. And that's bad for marine life. It's bad for a couple of reasons. The, the first is that in those acidic conditions, we're actually eroding the shells and the skeleton of critical animals like oysters, mussels, and most importantly, coral reefs. And then the second is that that process actually takes up the chemical building blocks that those animals need to, to grow. Um, to grow their shells. To grow their shells. And you, know, you might ask, why does that even matter? Um, but a billion people rely on coral reefs for food and livelihoods. And so if those we reefs... We say food, they're fishes that live in, in and only in, in coral, coral reefs, reefs. At least for part of their lifetime or life history. And so if the coral reefs erode, how are we going to feed them? 
you know, it's even even worse from what I understand is something that's also... I worry every time you look at your cards here, oh, no, no. something's going to pop out. I did some research. There's, there's, something, there's something that's even worse than carbonic acid that is that? That's filling our oceans called uh, dihydrogen monoxide. Ooh. Now, this is Ooh, a colorless, odorless chemical compound. It contributes to the greenhouse effect. It is a major ingredient in acid rain. And if you inhale it, you die. You can. You can die. And I happen to have some right here. This is dihydrogen monoxide. What, what does it taste like? No, 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 don't, no, no, no. Don't. No. <laughs> dihydrogen monoxide. H2. Oh. Okay, no. <laughs> Sleep, grocery shopping, themselves, just a few things working moms seldom have time for. And during tax season, you can add taxes to their list. So for all you working moms, make the easy switch to H&R Block and have an expert make easy work of your taxes. H&R Block guarantees your taxes are 100% accurate and your max refund or your money back. Plus, with their no surprise guarantee, you'll always know the price of your tax prep before you begin. You can even have an H&R Block tax pro do your taxes in a block office or online from the comfort of your own home. Can your current tax guy promise all that? When you're buried under life's to-dos, let the experts at H&R Block stay on top of your taxes with a return that's right on the money and your biggest refund possible. Because tax season after tax season, it's better with Block. Make an appointment at hrblock.com. All tax situations are different. Not everyone gets a refund. Limitations apply. Descriptions of benefits and details at hrblock.com slash guarantees. Whether you're a family vacation traveler, business tripper, or long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. And that's good because there are a lot of me's. Choice Hotels has over 7,400 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels. Get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. Cambria Hotels feature locally inspired hotel bars with specialty cocktails and downtown locations in the center of it all. Hey, that's me. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces to get the most of your business travel and on-site restaurants. That's me, too. And at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles, great pools for the entire family, and spacious rooms. Hey, that's me, too. I guess I'm just going to have to stay at all of them. Choice Hotels has a stay for any of you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travel comes true. Bring everyone together for a great time with the Nintendo Switch system. Get the whole family in on the fun with exciting games that everyone can enjoy, like Super Mario Bros. Wonder, Animal Crossing, New Horizons, and more. Nintendo Switch has three different play modes all in one system. Play in TV mode, tabletop mode, or handheld mode when you're on the go. Visit nintendo.com slash us slash switch to learn more. Games rated E for everyone.
are talking about ocean exploration and conservation. Live right now by video call is actor and activist Adrian Grenier. He was the star of the HBO series Entourage, remember that? And he's an ocean conservation advocate. Yeah, I'm Adrian. here. Hey, man. Hey, Neil. How's it going? Excellent. So I, I'm old enough to remember when straws were made of paper. And if they got too wet, they would collapse. And I was kind of quite happy when plastic straws came around. If you, if, if you succeed and you get rid of plastic straws, how are we going to drink our sodas? <laughs> well, you know, I, I sip with my lips. I got, you know, my mama didn't give me these beautiful things for nothing. Uh, for drinking and but, kissing. Right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> but listen, you know, I, I think we need to re-innovate, right? The plastic straw and other plastic materials were a great innovation. We just need to step it up again, you know. We need to renew a vision of the future that does not have plastic in our oceans. We're leaching almost 10 million tons of plastic into the ocean every year. And at that trajectory in 25 years, there's going to be more plastic in the ocean than fish themselves. So, so just, I, I'm just curious, you're, you're a well-known actor, and how do actors become activists? Uh, what, what's the, what is that transition? What, what goes on? Do you go through some activist school? Because all y'all come out protesting something on the other side. So what actually goes on in, in, in Los Angeles? <laughs> well, I, yeah, I think we're very blessed in a lot of ways. Um, yeah, I, at least I am. And at a certain point, you start to realize that at a, we got to give back. We got to and find that balance. I, I've lived a great life. I, I've gotten a lot of the spoils of, of success and now it's time for me to do my job as a citizen as a human and help do my part well that's a beautiful thing and it's a message that we are folding into this show i wish i could be there i'm, I'm i live in brooklyn but i'm in la right now right now okay well great to see you maybe you can come by and visit when you come back to town i would love that all right adrian thanks for calling in all right So clearly, it's hard to get people to care about something that they don't know anything about. So, so much of this exercise is awareness. And so I asked oceanographer Sylvia Earle how much we know about the ocean today, because that could impact how much we end up caring tomorrow. Let's check it out. Only about 10% of the ocean has been seen at all, let alone seen or mapped with the same degree of accuracy that we have for the Moon, Mars, Jupiter, Mercury. You know, we, we've gotten pretty good. Maybe space is just easier. There's, no. only, there's only one atmospheric pressure difference between surface of the Earth and the vacuum of space. Right. So, whereas you're dealing with, what, what's the pressure down at the Marianas Trench? 16,000 pounds per square inch. But... We know how to solve that problem. It's, it was solved in 1960. So what's, what are we waiting for? Uh, maybe it doesn't have the romance of the sky and the universe. I beg your pardon. <laughs> <laughs> Said it to the wrong person. Okay. <laughs> so, Laurie, why, why are ocean people so sure that the ocean is more romantic than the cosmos? 
Well, I've got to agree with Sylvia on this one, and I'll... Uh, yeah, of course you're going to agree with Sylvia on this one, okay? <laughs> See if I can, uh, can convince you. Yeah, it's going to be hard, but go on, try. Bring it on. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take the bait. Uh-huh. Well, for me, it, I think about the most romantic dives that I've ever had and experiences under the water. That's a phrase, romantic dive. Oh, I think so. Okay, go on, go on. <laughs> so... The one that speaks to me the most was a time in Turks and Caicos in the Caribbean. Imagine diving over a beautiful coral reef, and then all of a sudden, the reef disappeared. I went over the edge and was above a thousand feet of blue water, just blue everywhere, like your cosmos, just vast open blue. But out of it came a school of eagle rays, and they came right up, out of the blue, right to me, swam by, making eye contact, gazing into my eyes, and then swam back out into the blue. So I don't know about you, but to me, the only thing more romantic than the mystery of finding unknown life is getting to encounter it right here. Beat that. All right. Beat that. Uh, 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 all right, it's not bad. It's not bad. <laughs> Not bad. I don't know if you're ready for my rebuttal. Uh, no, I don't know. I don't know if you I know can. It's coming. I don't know if you can handle it. Are you ready? Try, try. I get you. There's romance in the ocean. We came from the ocean. Yes, we did. But before we came from the ocean. We came from the sky. We came from the universe. Our atoms, our molecules are traceable to the crucibles in the centers of stars across the galaxy that exploded, gave up their lives, scattering that enrichment across gas clouds, hither and yon, from which life emerged. That's where I came from first. And the ocean is where I came from second. <laughs> that was like a nerdy Barry White. <laughs> <laughs> so, Lori, let me ask you. Sylvia is correct. We know more about the surface of the moon and Venus and Mars and Mercury and Jupiter and Saturn than we do of our own ocean. So up next, we will take a deep dive into Earth's oceans with a submarine shaped like a shark when Star Talk returns. This is Star Talk. Welcome back to the American Museum of Natural History right here in New York City. I sat down recently with aquanaut Fabian Cousteau. This is the grandson of the legendary Jacques Cousteau we all remember. And I asked him about carrying on that great family legacy. So let's check it out. So were you kind of obligated to be interested in the ocean? Would you have been <laughs> excommunicated? You're carrying some serious name weight. Yeah, well, it's a double-edged sword. Uh, no, I was never obligated in the family. It was never expected of me in the family to carry on. Or That's what I was wondering, because you would say, oh, I'm in the family business. <laughs> 
You know, it, it sometimes feels like a business. We're always struggling with connecting people with the value of our life support system, this planet. I want to hear you say that again, that the planet is our life support system. <laughs> Give me that sentence <laughs> the again. The planet is our life support system. Spoken from someone who's been underwater who needs life support. There, there. <laughs> there you go. Is, There's, there the, are correlations. This is my, this, but I'm thinking Earth is just here and I do what I want and it's not supporting. I don't think that way. But we take it for granted. Take it for right? granted. I mean, you, you're, you're born, you go through your lifetime doing this, the basic necessities that you need to do to survive, to pay your bills, to da 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 da. But you never think about where your breath is coming from. Lori, where's our breath coming from? Well, the oceans, of course. But, no, but that's not what we're taught in school. In school, we say, oh, the leaves and the plants and the... And, the, and yeah, it's very land-based teaching. They, can, they contribute, but the oceans produce over 50% of the oxygen that we breathe, most of which is from little plants, microscopic, that live in the water column. How much does space generate for us? Yeah, not, yeah. <laughs> yeah, see? See? Please go on. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Why, thank you. So, I mean, I think it's a good example that of all the ways that we take for granted what the planet and oceans do for us. It, they don't just give us the breath that we, the oxygen that we breathe. They regulate our climate. Uh, three out of seven people on the planet rely on seafood for protein every day. And three out of seven. Three out of seven. And the oceans uh, generate $2.5 trillion for our global economy each year. So we from often, fishing, I guess. From fishing, from shipping, from all sorts of different industries. Uh -huh. And so we, we often overlook it, but it's really the blue in our blue planet that makes everything else possible, including us. So Jacques Cousteau, I mean, he was an explorer, a scientist, a filmmaker. Uh, would you count him as a real-life ocean hero? Yeah, absolutely. He invented uh, scuba, which makes my life a whole lot happier. So I'll I'll call him a superhero. So, so I didn't know that. Yeah. And and so uh, that's a pretty big shadow for this guy to grow up under. Um, <laughs> but I, I think Fabien has done all right for himself. And uh, you know he learned to scuba at age four. How how, how you like that? I thought, I, th I thought I was pretty young. Yeah, how, I, I did how, it at 12, but at 12. Uh, he got me beat there. <laughs> so I, I'm told he's officially an aquanaut. Mm -hmm. So that has definition to mm -hmm. it? Because it just seems like a, I mean, an astronaut, you go into, or you're going to space. We got, we got that. So an aquanaut, that's not just somebody who, who goes underwater? No, it's somebody who goes underwater and stays there long enough that they actually reach an equilibrium with the pressure underwater and the, and the gases in their system. Oh. It takes about 24 hours, typically, but I think he's far surpassed that. So, just so I understand, so uh, on land, there's one atmospheric pressure. Mm -hmm. We inhale that, so all the gases in our body recognize and are imbalanced with one atmospheric pressure. Mm -hmm. Now you go underwater. Yep. Uh, two atmospheres, three atmospheres, five yep. atmospheres, ten atmospheres. Yep. Now you breathe air that's under 10 atmospheres of pressure. Now your body has to absorb that in a 10 atmospheric way, and that takes about 24 hours. Is this the 10 atmospheric yeah, I'm just feeling it, right, 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 right. So that's why you can't come back out too quickly. Right. Because then 10 atmospheric pressure will bust out of your body. That can't be fun. Right, so you have all of this uh, gas that's been absorbed into your system. Think about it almost like a, a Coke that you shake in, and it's got carbonation, it's got all this gas inside of it. If you open that too fast, the pressure changes, and all of that bubbles out of your system. So as long as it's in your bloodstream, it's liquid, and it's fine, and you don't feel it at all. 
But if you pop to the surface, you don't want that gas bubbling out. So this acclimation takes about a day, you say? Mm -hmm. Okay, so I understand that Fabian Cousteau accomplished this inside an underwater research station where he stayed for 31 days. And Fabian had another recent underwater adventure that I had to ask him about. Let's check it out. I couldn't believe what I read, but now I have you here to confirm or deny that you have a submarine that looks like a shark. <laughs> Just tell me that's not true. Just tell me that was a cartoon I saw or something on SpongeBob. <laughs> You're right on both accounts, by the way. <laughs> it wasn't a cartoon. It was in a comic book uh, called Tintin or Tintin. I remember Tintin. And that's always stuck in the back of my mind. It's such a cool idea. You know, but you know, imagination, um, uh, uh, expression of, of, of dreams is what makes things possible. Space exploration is based on that. Is it so, is, so is inner space exploration. But still... You made a submarine to look like a shark. Well, the reason this was simple. Is, you weren't getting close enough to sharks? Well, the reason, yeah, that's exactly what it was. I, I looked at them, I'm like, cool idea. Okay, right now, everyone's studying sharks. This was a few years ago. Everyone's studying sharks in cages, and they're th throwing uh, chum at the animal and expecting natural behavior. Wait, wait, just to be clear, mm. they're not studying sharks in cages. They're studying sharks from cages. Right, I'm sorry. Yes, you're absolutely correct. Right. Okay, so the person is in the cage, <laughs> yeah. and the shark is not in the cage. Right. And, and we should they... always keep it that way. <laughs> <laughs> did you know about this shark thing? I did. I haven't had the pleasure of seeing it, but I have heard it. It's a kind of a it. Trojan horse where you can get close enough to the sharks and people come out. Well, you would think that, but I, I think they actually can probably tell that he's there. Sharks don't actually use their sense of sight very much. They uh, more rely on their sense of smell and a special sense that they can read uh, electric charges uh, or the heart rates of animals. And so even though he's visually camouflaged, I would imagine that they can see him. Well, to help us continue this conversation about undersea exploration, we have a professional submarine pilot standing by live right now on video call. So, hello. Hi. This is Erica Bergman. Hey, everybody. You're a submarine pilot? That's right. And, and it, that wouldn't happen to be your submarine behind you. Oh, what, this old thing? <laughs> <laughs> so where, is, where are you? Well, I'm in my workshop with a bunch of tools, the submarine itself, and I'll actually take you down right now. Sorry, it's hard to hold with one You're hand. You're doing a great job, by the way. Thank you. Yes, okay. So this is the hatch right here. And when I close this hatch, it seals all of the water out. So it's basically the opposite of an airplane. And an airplane, when you go up, because the pressure is decreased, all of the rivets tighten down. In our case, all of the seals are the opposite direction. And when water presses in, it seals this hatch up here. There we go. It's quite heavy. So the water pressure- I'm very strong, don't worry. The water pressure does your sealing for you. Exactly. So, uh, what's the coolest place you've been in this thing? Oh. Um, Vancouver, BC actually has this stunning ecosystem that I never could have imagined in a million years. And it is, in fact, 500 million years old. Whoa. <laughs> it's called a glass sponge reef, and it's the first animal life form on Earth. They're a single celled organism that grow huge. They look like trumpets that have been hanging out underwater for millennia because 
they've been hanging out underwater for millennia. <laughs> I wonder what they, what they say about you. <laughs> well, well, Erica, thank you for giving us a tour of your, sure, pri of your of course, pride and my joy. Pleasure. Excellent. So coming up next, we'll explore oceans on other planets on Star Trek. You know what shouldn't feel like rocket science? Planning a vacation your whole crew will love. With Carnival Cruise Line, it's all up to you. You can kick back or dive right into the fun. Paddleboard in the crystal clear waters of one of Carnival's exclusive destinations, Half Moon Key in the Bahamas. Take an ATV ride through the jungle or just relax on white sandy Caribbean beaches. The fun continues on ship. From a ride on the Bolt roller coaster to a moment of pure bliss at the Cloud Nine Spa. Kick off the evening with a craft cocktail at any of Carnival's dazzling bars and lounges and take your pick of restaurants from surf and turf to family style Italian. Then settle in for an evening of live entertainment. Whatever your vibe is, you'll come home with plenty of stories to tell. So pack those bags, be sure to leave room for a few unforgettable memories because no one does fun like Carnival. Book your dream vacation at Carnival.com. Ships Registry, The Bahamas and Panama. eBay Motors is here for the ride. You saw the potential. And through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, exhaust kits, turbochargers, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Talk from the American Museum of Natural History, and we are featuring my interview with the legendary oceanographer Sylvia Earle. And back in 1970, when NASA was putting men on the moon, Sylvia Earle and her team of all-female aquanauts were exploring deep beneath the waves. Let's check it out. There are no women involved with going in the sky at that point. Right. But there was a team of women who were 
allowed to experience living underwater in isolation and to simulate in some fashion the what others would come to experience in space. That was the the isolation. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Being remote and under, quotes, hostile circumstances. I've never thought of the ocean as being <laughs> particularly hostile, but it is true. You have to take your life support system with you. Yes, yes. Uh, if you're going to have a little house underwater, which we did, a Tektite underwater laboratory. And when we... So you just made, lived underwater? Yeah, for yeah. two weeks. Two weeks? So there, there are 10 different teams of people over a period of a year. And the first year that preceded that, 1969, was uh, just four guys stayed for two months underwater. So is that the oceanic equivalent of the Mercury 7 astronauts? Yeah, the first set of people mm-hmm. just testing the limits of That's right. this, the equipment as well as the And the effects physiology. on their body, yeah. And behavior. Uh, on all of the Tektite missions from the Tektite 1 to Tektite 2, when they had these 10 teams of scientists exploring the ocean. We were, we were monitored, when we were inside at least, by teams of people who looked at us day and night and made little notes about what we were doing. Wow, so you were like a little underwater diorama. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that mission was called Tektite 2. Let the record show that Tektites come from space. And you're naming an underwater thing after space objects. They are found underwater, though. Because they fell from space. <laughs> I'll give you that one. Right, so uh, this is the longest duration that scientists had ever been continuously submerged. So I was very impressed to learn about that, that that was happening contemporaneously with our missions to the moon. And I bet that's not an accident. They share a lot of uh, challenges, right? So you need air where there isn't any, breathable air. Uh, you can be isolated for long periods of time. Uh, they both have unflattering suits. Unflattering suits. <laughs> That we're trying to change that, actually. Oh, yeah? There's a whole next frontier of spacesuits that are a little bit sexy and a little bit interesting. What else? Access to food. They're both jobs that I pretend to have when trying to impress women. <laughs> Is that right? Sure. Oceanographer, uh, astronaut. Really? Same thing. And how's that, how's that been working for you? <laughs> I'm sitting here by myself. <laughs> <laughs> Did I tell you I'm an astronaut? <laughs> you tell you I'm a marine biologist? <laughs> Is she lying? Uh, no, she's not lying. Oh. Of the two of you, she's the one not lying. Um, so, so why was Tech Tech 2 important? Other than what she said, did it have a bigger significance in the day and for what followed? Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, Sylvia's been an inspiration for a whole generation of marine biologists, uh, myself included, um, who saw her kind of open up that frontier and make it seem feasible for women to be part of this industry. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there's still barriers, but she definitely set the path. So we found a newspaper headline from 1970 about Sylvia Earle's mission underwater. And you know what the headline read? Beacon Hill housewife to lead a team of female aquanauts. That's the kind of stuff that went down back then. I actually have a stack of newspapers from an alternate universe where the headlines... You have access to the multiverse? Yes. You didn't tell me that. You gotta come over. (laughs) Over there, their headlines treat uh, male scientists like we treated female scientists. Really? Okay, so what do you have? I got this. Father of three finds time to walk on the moon. (laughs) How does he balance it all? (laughs) Another one? Physicist shows off some leg. 
while at beach, writes theory. <laughs> this one? Bossy astronomer won't quit nagging about Earth revolving around sun. <laughs> All right, so I also chatted recently with famed underwater explorer Fabien Cousteau. And, you know, I had to ask him about the idea of exploring oceans beyond Earth. Let's check it out. You may know that we're discovering oceans on moons of planets. Sign me up. I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> so Europa, mm -hmm. one of the moons of Jupiter, as all evidence shows that there's an, a layer of ice yes. fl a float atop a, an ocean that may have been an ocean for billions of years. Right. So when we astrophysicists go there, we're going to have to call one of you guys up because we don't do that. That's what you guys do. Right. And, but you have to cut through the ice. That's another kind of thing. And we'll just send you down there, and we'll just stay up top. <laughs> yeah. I'm, How are you doing I'm down there? <laughs> I have no problem with that. Bring me with you. <laughs> but it, it is a really, really intriguing part of your, what you're doing, what your discoveries are doing. Because it, it has made me dream of, wow, if what is down in our oceans is so amazing, what's over there? So, Laura, do you like this idea of alien oceans? Yeah, absolutely. So we can send you there, too. Sure, sign me up. Yeah, so, so we, we talked about Jupiter's moon, uh, that was Europa, mm -hmm. but also there's a moon Enceladus orbiting Saturn. These are moon planets, if you will, that are kept warm deep inside because of the gravity stress that they experience in orbit around their host star. And so the surface is icy, but we have liquid water beneath. And it's not, I don't, it's not fundamentally different from cutting through polar ice and reaching the lake or whatever is the ocean below. And so it's a global subsurface ocean. How thick is that surface? I, we, well, we don't want it to be thick, because so, so <laughs> that makes it harder to cut through. But realistic estimates put it at about a kilometer. Oh. And so it, the hole you cut to go ice fishing it has to be really deep. So we, have, we still haven't really figured out how to do that. Uh, some, some were imagining you can get like a radioactive heat source that just melts its way down. But then you put radioactivity down in the water supply and affect whatever life might be there. So th there are issues that have to be resolved. So if we go there, you sign up. Absolutely. I mean, you have no idea what you could find there. It makes me actually think about exploring here on our oceans. You know, in, the, in the 70s, oceanographers found for the first time hydrothermal vents. They, they'd kind of assumed that they were there, modeled them there, but the, they finally found them um, and were shocked that they not only found life in these really hostile environments, but they found life that made their living in an entirely different way than any other life form that they had found. They actually found life that used the chemicals coming out of these vents to create energy, a process called chemosynthesis. Rather than from the sun. Rather than from the sun. So if if organisms can support themselves in a whole new way here on Earth, I mean, think about what's possible in these it other wide oceans. Open. Yeah, absolutely. Blows it wide open. And you're discovering new species every what? Every day, every year? Uh, well, some of the reefs that I work on in Indonesia, it's on a weekly basis that we're discovering a new species. But so around the world, definitely on a daily Who basis. Who needs space? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Last time you're invited on this. <laughs> you're supposed to have my back. <laughs> but coming up, we assess the future of our oceans here on planet Earth. 
because I sat down recently with underwater explorer and living legend Sylvia Earle. I asked for her outlook on protecting the world's oceans, and this is what she said. Now, I think we're at that point in time that we, we have the, been able to develop the technologies with the ability to speak to other brains on the other side of the planet, and we're connected. We have the computers to be able to crunch data, to analyze these masses of information, see patterns that we could not see before, to, to give us insight, to give us some answers to who are we. Who are we anyway? Where do we come from? And where are we going? Laurie, who are we? And where do we come from and where are we going? And very quickly, please. <laughs> That's a pretty big question, Neil. So we did come from the ocean. So in, we're inherently sea creatures, and we're still dependent on the ocean for our very survival. We, as of now, know of one planet that can sustain life. This one. And it can only support life as we know it with very specific conditions, very specific climatic conditions. And the ocean is what keeps the Earth hospitable for us. So without the oceans, our very survival is in jeopardy. We are at a moment in time when we actually have the capacity to change that. We can reverse these trends. We have the knowledge, we have the science, we know what we need to do. The question for me is whether we're going to have the wisdom to use it. You're bumming us out, man. <laughs> well, Sylvia Sorry. Earl, no, 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 it's the truth. Sometimes the truth is a bummer. Uh, Sylvia Earle actually has an initiative to protect oceans, and it's called Mission Blue. And so I asked her about that mission. Let's check it out. So the idea of blue parks, protecting the ocean. Nobody thought we needed to protect the ocean when I was a kid. Just the ocean version of a national park. Exactly. A place that you deliberately say, this place is special. But here's the thing. It, it turns out that it was only 0.01% of the ocean was really safe for wildlife protected where the fish could do their thing in peace, whatever that is. Now... Where they can eat each other in peace. They can eat each other <laughs> and one another in peace, right. So, okay. It seems it's, it's good, good ideas, but not enough. My wish was to explore the ocean, to use our mighty powers to communicate, but to lead to a network of hope spots, protected areas around the world large enough to save and restore the blue heart of the planet. So what will happen is when, when fish achieve collective consciousness, they'll put out maps of where these hope spots are, then they'll all cluster. <laughs> but we, I think we have time. I think that especially in the next decade, next 10 years will shape the next 10,000 years in a magnified way because we still have 10% of the sharks. We still have half the coral reefs. So a network of hope spots for the ocean. We've developed a kind of a framework where people, wherever in the world you are, to nominate a place in the ocean that you think is important or that you love, and you say who you are, why this place matters, and what you're going to do to help take care of it, and, and make, it, make it so. It's knowing that is the key to, to caring. Maybe if you care, you'll do something. You can't care if you don't know. 
Hope spots. That's a good thing. Laura, are you hopeful about hope spots? Yeah, I actually am. Uh, I think we still have time. So in my work with Conservation International, I actually get to work on blue parks or marine protected areas all around the world and see the dedication of communities and governments and businesses collaborating to make these protected areas. Um, and we actually just reached so a this milestone. Requires, this requires international cooperation. Absolutely. That's why the word international is in your title. Indeed. In, in the company title, yes. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of work. For everyone's benefit. So... I have a hope spot myself. Um, for me, it's a place in eastern Indonesia called the Bird's Head Seascape. And there's more species there than anywhere else on, in the ocean. It's the, it's the epicenter of marine biodiversity. And I've had the privilege for almost a decade of working there with indigenous communities, governments, um, to help create a network of large marine parks or these blue parks. Um, and we're now seeing that they're working. So we're now uh, measuring uh, fish and coral coming back. Uh, local fisheries are rebounding. Um, and people have more to eat. And so seeing that and those communities, that's what gives me hope. Well, that's a good note to end on, I think. Well, if I can offer some parting thoughts. I happen to love the ocean. Uh, we went a lot as a kid. And you go to the beach, and you go to the edge, and you chase the wave, the wave chases you back. There seems to be a kind of a magnetic draw to the shoreline that is the boundary between land and water. And that forces me to wonder whether deep down within our DNA, genetically, we have a memory of having come from the water because so many of us are drawn to it. So there's something about it that keeps us coming back. And I will not stand in denial of what might be a search, this genetic search for where we came from. Whether or not you knew explicitly that that was true, you feel it sitting there hearing the ocean come to the shore, watching the sunset over the water looking at the seashells. I don't know, there's something about it. I think it's real, and I think not enough people take that the next step and ask, what's going on down deep within, and how does my life depend on it? We came from there, and we depend on it. And that is a cosmic perspective. You've been watching Star Talk. Thank you, Scott Adsit. Lori Katz. I've been your host, your personal astrophysicist, Neil deGrasse Tyson. And as always, I bid you to keep looking up. The legends are true. We're overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes. The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. In a fast-paced world... 
Every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia.